This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I love scouting. My guys listening are probably pulling out their phones now. You know, you quickly realize that little $39 day pack you bought down at the the, uh, general retailer is not. Anyone who skipped through module number three here, they're going to be kicking themselves in the butt. So when you see a blood trail, you recognize, oh, that's liver blood. This sentence and me just don't seem to belong. I'm going hunting here. Can somebody tell me where the elk are? There's a lot more guys hiking in the backcountry nowadays than you used to see, so well, they're like, man, you talk about all this rut hunting. It's definitely a section I think a lot of people are gonna are gonna enjoy. We get we take a lot of slack for sharing this information with people. Just gonna shut up here and let you take the wheel. Thanks for tuning in again to the Focus Hunting Podcast. The Focus Hunting Podcast is brought to you by the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. If you all aren't familiar with the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, make sure you head on over to waypointtv.com. Check them out. Hey, did you all know that only 10% of elk hunters are successful elk hunters? 10%, that's it. Now, there's most likely people tuning in today that fall into this 10% category. What if I told you Corey Jacobson at Elk 101 has developed an online course that'll help make you a 10%er? On this episode of the Focus Hunting Podcast, I sit down and talk with Corey Jacobson, the founder and creator of Elk University. Corey and I discuss Elk 101, what it is, how it's going to help each of you hunt elk this year in the backcountry. Uh, we walk through each of the modules. This is just great stuff for any elk enthusiast, regardless if you're new to elk hunting or if you've taken elk in the past. There's definitely uh, some information in here for everyone. After the show, make sure you guys head over to elk101.com, sign up for Corey's course, and uh, make sure to use the promo code FOCUS, and you guys will receive 20% off. You know, it's definitely worth the money. Trust me, I've, uh, I've taken the course, and uh, yeah, I take it again. Okay, Corey Jacobson, I'm pumped to have you on the show, man. Thanks. 
Uh, absolutely. I'm excited to uh, to be on and appreciate the, the invitation for sure. Yeah. So uh, where are we hitting you up from today? Uh, I am in my office in Donnelly, Idaho. Idaho. Nice. Yeah. So, you know, Corey, I think everyone knows uh, who you are, but, uh, you know, up here in Canada, there might be a few listeners who still haven't heard of, of you and, and what you got going on. So maybe if you could just give us a quick elevator style intro to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I am just a regular guy who absolutely loves elk and elk hunting, and uh, it's kind of led me on a path to, to where I am. You know, I've got a degree in mechanical engineering and realized after about 10 years that wasn't the path for me uh, just as far as a career. So I started a construction business. And while I was doing that, you know, just my, my love for elk and passion for elk hunting kind of got intertwined there. And I, I started a little side business and about six or seven years ago, it grew to the point where uh, it's been my full-time gig for a while. So, you know, it really, I, I own uh, elk101.com, which uh, is a website and a platform that's all about elk hunting. So there's, you know, entertainment, education, all of that. Uh, and I just, you know, I, I love to see other people be successful coupled with a love for elk hunting and that kind of led me to create the University of Elk Hunting online course where I share some of my experience and and lessons learned the hard way uh, in the hopes of helping other elk hunters become successful and and on a consistent basis. So that's kind of who I am and and where I'm at. Uh, I also compete in elk calling contests and have been fortunate to end up uh, in the top spot in the professional division in the World Elk Calling Championships uh, a handful of times. So, you know, that I think coupled with my my love for elk and elk hunting has kind of opened a lot of doors and got me to where I am now and, and able to share that passion with others. Yeah, right on, man. Yeah, and that's kind of the, the reason I asked you on the show today was to uh, maybe go over a little bit of uh, of your Elk 101 and what it offers and kind of you know, what Canadians up here can take away from it and, uh, and how we can use it to our advantage. So, uh, but, you know, maybe before we, we get into the specifics of that, maybe we can back up a little bit and just talk about, you know, like how you got into elk hunting and, you know, uh, you know, when and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, how long have you been hunting elk for? You know, I was, <laughs> I was very blessed. I grew up in, uh, in elk country and I grew up in the Clearwater region of Idaho, which back in the, the 80s, even into the early 90s, was really one of the premier elk herds in in the nation. And we had elk out our back door. Uh, my dad was a, a elk hunting guide and, and eventually uh, owned his own outfitting business. So I really, you know, from the time I was born, was intertwined into the outdoors and into elk hunting. Uh, I was calling in elk when I was as young as eight or nine years old, you know, going with my mom or my dad elk hunting and calling for them. Uh, here you have to be, you had to be 12 at the time to legally start hunting. So I started as as soon as I could. And uh, if I'm doing the math correctly, I think that's been 34 years that I've been hunting elk uh with a with a license and tag in my own pocket wow and uh yeah you mentioned uh a little bit about your elk elk calling championship you're the correct me if i'm wrong but you're the 11 time elk calling champion i 
I believe so. Yeah, I'm uh, not good with keeping track of numbers, but yeah, it's, you know, and I, I tell everybody I've been going since I was, I think, 14. Uh, and oh. if you go, if, if you participate in something long enough, you're bound to have it fall your direction once in a while. And, uh, you know, it's it's hosted and, and put on by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, which I've been a huge supporter of uh, since I was in my youth and, and continue to be. And so I have attended several times and uh yeah it's just you know the the contest itself is great but i think all of us know the real contest happens in september out in the out in the elk woods uh but those contests are a great way to you know keep kind of in tune with calling throughout the year as well as be able to just interact and mingle with other passionate elk hunters yeah, I bet. And, uh, and like you, I'm sure there's uh, probably a, a handful of other great elk callers out there as well. So that's cool. There man. are. Yeah. And it's funny that every single year there's there's new ones that just crawl out of the woodwork and, you know, you've never heard of them before and they show up and they're as good as anybody that's ever been there. And so it's exciting to to see that, that there's, and we all know there's just like with elk hunting, there's a whole host of people nobody's ever heard about that could hunt or call circles around just about anybody else. Yeah, no doubt. So you're you're primarily an archery hunter. Primarily, I've gotten into rifle a little more the last few years. Uh, my kiddos, you know, they're all old enough to hunt. And fortunately, in Idaho, they allow you to. If you're a youth, you can hunt the archery and the rifle season. So it's opened up uh, more opportunity for them, which gives me more opportunity to to hunt with them. And so I have the last few years gotten more into the the post rut and late season type hunting which lends itself more to the rifle seasons here yeah that's cool man how many kids do you have i have three so oh, my nice. oldest oldest son is uh graduating high school here in a couple of weeks and then my daughter is a sophomore in high school and my youngest uh, my son is in eighth grade right now wow so you've been uh you've been busy that's for sure i've got three kids as well so i know all about it yeah a lot puts a lot of uh, a lot of tags in our family's pocket and it uh you know it's it's a it's a a curse and a blessing sometimes because <laughs> you get all three of them wanting to go hunting and uh, it's obviously a good thing but man it, it wears you out by the end of the season yeah like you said it's tough it's you know when uh, i have an old i have a, I have a same thing as you i've got a a son a, a daughter and then a, another son so you know we started taking the the oldest one out when he was around four and five years old. And then, um, you know, he always got the ch- opportunity to go with us. And then as he got older, he still wants to go, but now the youngest one wants to go too. And obviously you can't, you just can't take both of them. So yeah, it's, it's a juggling <laughs> act for sure. And then you got to mix your daughter in there as well. Cause you, you know, you want her to be, to have that experience as well. So that's cool. So when, so when did you find time to kind of put this elk 101 all together? You know, it, it really, so I started in, I think, 2008. So we're in uh, year 13 here. And it started just as a, a simple little blog. Uh, it grew into, we added a, a store where you can purchase hunting gear. Uh, and then we actually, I launched a, an elk hunting magazine uh gosh, 2011, 2012, somewhere in there and ran it for just about five years. And, you know, I think we all know that print was on its way out then. And it's, you know, there's, there's still some viable markets, but it just, it was so hard to produce content, to print it in a magazine, to uh, run the business, to get subscribers, to renew them and all that. And I 
saw the writing on the wall that, you know, for a little niche market like that, it was never going to be able to explode. And so I really stepped back and, and hit the drawing board and said, how do we generate or uh, distribute content digitally to a, a larger group? And that's kind of what led to the, the online course. And so I stepped back, we sold the magazine and I spent about nine months uh, just 100% focused on the online course. So taking every topic I could even think of regarding elk hunting and laying it out in, in kind of an outline and then going through and, and creating the content for it. So a lot of it's video, a lot of it's written, there's a ton of diagrams and images and all of that, but it was, it was nine months of uh, dedicated and every day, all day, sometimes way more than eight or 10 hours a day of uh, me just sitting at a computer and, and basically writing a book. It turned out to be uh, about 130,000 words of written text uh, within the course. So that's the equivalent of like two novels. And then uh, working with uh, a guy that's done all of our video stuff for several years uh, to create all the video components. And, you know, it's, I started it probably in August or September timeframe, and then really clamped down October through uh, when we launched it that next June. And uh, it was, uh, it was one of those things that there was so much, you know, I was so nervous because I didn't know, you know, how people were going to accept a, a paid platform where you pay to get access to this, this learning, you know, obviously online learning is huge now, but and it still has a lot of growth to go in the hunting market, but back then there was nothing. And so it was a, it was a risk and there was a lot of nervousness leading up to the launch for sure. Yeah, no. Um, and you know, this is what I really wanted to talk about today was the Elk 101 and where it is now. And, you know, I, um, I bought the course last year and I went through it and, uh, you know, it's great course and, you know, I've shot elk and you know um it's so it's just not for people who are just wanting to shoot an elk for the first time you know there's a lot of stuff in there that people who have been successful with hunting elk can use to, you know to uh just make your hunt a little easier um we can kind of go over the course and uh and uh maybe just explain and kind of break it down to how canadians can use it to their advantage up here you know i mean elk hunting's elk hunting so and now you know with little over three months away until uh until elk season, uh, this is the time to start thinking about elk next fall. You know, if you sit around and wait until the beginning of September to start doing your scouting and your training by then, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be too late. So, um, you know, your course has 17 modules. So I'm hoping maybe we can just kind of, you know, go through them. Uh, I mean, you know, now there's, I think there's over 120 hours of great information. So obviously we're not going to be able to go over the whole, <laughs> the whole course, but, uh, and you know, that people who th this will leave room for people to go out, purchase your course and and uh, experience for themselves and one of the nice things about your course too is that it's uh, a DIY and it lets you learn at your own pace and it's you know it's for the whole year so you can really you can really work at it and it allows you to go back and double on some modules which is what I did I know um, the calling module is something that you know I'd say I definitely spent a lot more time on going through because calling I think is is something that I need to work on but uh, so maybe if we could just quickly go through them and uh, and just talk about 
what, uh, you know, what each of the modules is kind of going to go over and, and what it will teach people and kind of how Canadians up here can use it to their benefit. If that Absolutely. Works. Yeah, no, and I think it's, it's, you know, and I get asked the question a lot, is it for archery hunters? Is it for rifle hunters? Is it for, you know, hunting in the mountains? Is it for hunting in the desert? Is it for hunting in Canada? And, and really, yeah, there are some specific areas there that might not overlap. Uh, Roosevelt elk hunting. I've been Roosevelt elk hunting now for the last three years. Uh, and before that had never been. And there are some, some uh, differences, but realistically, I would say 90% of the course pertains to any season, any weapon, any landscape. You know, we're talking about things like what to look for when you're scouting, uh, physical conditioning, elk hunting gear, how to use elk calls, you know, things like that that are really not not specific to a geography or to a, a season other than obviously using elk calls is more of a, a rut type of a uh, factor. And that usually, at least down here, lends itself to uh, more archery hunting. But yeah, so I, I think, you know, and you mentioned that it's not just for beginners or people who have never elk hunted. And that's really how I wanted to create it. I wanted it to be valuable for anyone, regardless of how long they've been hunting, regardless of how successful they've been. I really wanted it to add value to them and to, to help them become even better than they already are. And recognizing that I'm not necessarily a better elk hunter than anyone else, but hopefully compiling all of this information and sharing 34 years of, of elk hunting experience would hopefully, you know, in some way help others uh, in, in different areas. And obviously, if you're brand new and, and have never elk hunted before, the course will walk you through uh, everything from how to plan your hunt and expectations. Uh, you know, we go into at least the 10 Western states here in the U.S., kind of how their elk hunting is structured as far as how you can get tags, whether it's through a draw or over the counter. Uh, we talk about the difference between, you know, DIY and, and doing it on your own versus going with a guide or an outfitter, uh, which I have, you know, no problem either way. It's it's totally personal preference, but uh, we, we kind of approach it from a do-it-yourself perspective of if you're going to go out, there's a lot of things to consider and here, here are all of those things. Yeah, for sure. And it's, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been successful elk um you know i had a great mentor which you know definitely helped a lot but uh yeah for the guys who don't have you know access to mentorship and a lot of hunters these days they don't so stuff like this is really great and like i said you know um there were some things you know i didn't spend as much time on some of the modules but you know when it come down to some modules that i felt i needed to work on i could really focus on those and and with the way the course is structured it allowed me to you know back up and then you know i put it away i didn't open it for six months and i logged back in and then i you know i kind of refreshed on it right before elk season and stuff like that and you know i mean we were out this year and we got a nice six by six so i was kind of hoping we could maybe like just walk through each module so like you know um so starting with like module one uh planning your hunt what you know real quickly what can kind of sum up uh this module you know uh you know what's in it and, and why is it important yeah i think this one is really tailored more to those who have not elk hunted before or who maybe are looking to expand uh you know maybe coming to one of those 10 Western states in the U.S. to hunt, uh, but it goes through and, and kind of helps set uh, expectations for each individual. And I think, you know, there's, there's so much that we get tied up in 
success and, and defining what success is. And it really, I think, is more about helping each individual define what success is to them and not getting caught up in, oh, I've got to go and shoot a 400 inch six by six with a bow uh, on my own my first time out. It's more about being realistic and saying, hey, what, what is my, my goal for hunting? Is it to shoot a 400 inch bull? Is it to call in my first elk? Is it to harvest my first elk? I don't care if it's a cow, a spike, you know, a, a mature bull, it doesn't matter. I just want to harvest one. And so I think it walks through some of that and just helps set those expectations so that you're more better prepared to plan your hunt. And, you know, I think that if somebody wants to shoot a giant trophy bull, they're going to have to hunt in very certain areas and they're going to probably have to adapt to the hunting style that's conducive to that area uh, whereas if somebody's just wanting to go out and fill their freezer uh, it, it opens up a lot more opportunities so I think you know that's kind of the premise of the first module in helping plan what your goal is and then how to how to go from there uh, if your goal is to call in an elk you're probably going to need to hunt during the rut. And so that helps you understand what seasons you need to be looking at, uh, the time frames that you need to be out there. And then it goes into, you know, some of the, the ways that you need to go about obtaining a tag, which we don't touch on any of the Canadian provinces yet uh, in there. But, you know, for down here, especially each state is completely different. And the seasons, the the way that you obtain tags in each state is different. So we break down uh, a lot of that and go into detail on, on what that takes. And then the last one is just, you know, committing, I think. And that's, that's the big thing for me is I just want people to, if you have a, a goal to hunt elk, if you've never hunted elk before, but you really want to, there's no better time than now and quit putting it off. You know, we talk about the costs and if you have to drive a long ways and, and set up hunt, what it's going to cost you. Uh, we talk about some of the motivation of, you know, and, and inspiring people really just, hey, you can do this. Don't let it be a bucket list thing that you keep putting off. Make it a reality and, and let us help you not only make it a reality, but be successful on that. So that's kind of the the uh, overview of, of module one. Yeah. And I too um th there's also you know with guys like i said with guys who have hunted elk um you know maybe they got lucky and stuff but i know i know for myself like i know a lot of hunters who who they just don't quite pay enough attention to uh you know the minutiae of a hunt or planning the hunt you know they kind of just wait for september 1st and then head out and but by that time you know especially with you know um how things have changed there's a lot more guys hiking in the backcountry nowadays than you used to see so um yeah i think you know even for like you said though you know for the for the hunter who's just getting started it's great but uh, there's a lot to take out of this too for the guy who's who's been in the backcountry for years now um and then it moves on in your uh to module two scouting for elk and uh and you know actually I, I think i said earlier that i spent the most time on the calling module but you know i i spent quite a bit of time on this as well so what kind of what are we going to cover in this section of the course so scouting is you know for me i love scouting and i think that you know when i was younger when i thought of scouting i thought i'm going to go out and hike around and look for sign and you know it's there, there's there's elk are so dynamic and they're so in each region they're going to behave different differently you know we've got elk here that'll migrate 10 or 12 miles from where they spend the winter back to where they spend the summer and then they might move six miles in a completely different direction for the rut 
And so if you go out and you know, you're like, I got into elk last year in September here, I'm gonna go up in April and see if the elk are there, they might not be anywhere near there and you're not gonna see anything. And then you start doubting, is that a good area? And so we go into you know, being able to understand some of that and be able to understand the elk's habits throughout the year, but more importantly, what to look for. And I think in, in today's digital age, there's so many resources that I can sit here at my computer and learn so much about elk and do so much scouting. And so we go through you know, a lot of the resources that if you are, if you draw a limited tag somewhere, how you go about getting information for that. Because the last thing you want to do is go onto a forum and say, I've never posted here before. I drew this tag. I'm going hunting here. Can somebody tell me where the elk are? Uh, that's, you're, you're not going to get a lot of friends no. or friendly responses doing that. And so, you know, we list a lot of the resources. We list, you know, questions you should be asking a wildlife biologists in the area. And then we go into, you know, my, my primary scouting uh, I love using 3D modeling. So, you know, there's Google Earth, Go Hunt has a, a 3D mapping uh, system for desktop now that's going to be available on uh, mobile devices here real soon. And so that's really my first thing is I go out there in that 3D imaging and it's like flying over an area in an airplane. You know, you can see a lot of those features that are so important for scouting. So we talk about what those features are, you know, looking for feed sources, looking for water sources, looking for bedding areas. Uh, and you're also able to see, you know, where roads are and what access is going to be like. So you know that, well, this is an obvious area. It's right next to the road. You know, I probably don't need to spend a lot of time there. But, you know, I think once you realize what a, a bedding area looks like for an elk, uh, what feed sources look like, what water sources look like, when you fly over in that 3D modeling, uh, you're able to to kind of triangulate those and say, okay, there's food, there's water, there's bedding area right here. Then elk has everything it needs right here in this little area. That's probably a good area to go and and check out. Uh, and so we go through, you know, how to how to utilize uh, 3D mapping, what to look for, what it looks like uh, as you're as you're flying over it in that mapping, and then how it translates to you know waypoints and pins on the ground that when you take your you know, it used to be a GPS. Now I think most people have a, a cell phone with some kind of GPS or mapping mm -hmm. app on it. And how you take that out into the woods with you and, and translate it into actual boots on the ground scouting and what to look for. You know, as I mentioned, elk move a lot. And so when I'm out scouting in the summer, I'm not necessarily looking for elk or for fresh sign. I might be looking for a sign that they've been there in the rut previously. So the year before, because elk are are very habitual and a lot of times we'll come back to the exact same area to rut year after year. And so I'm looking for, you know, wallows and rubs from last year and any indicator that the elk might've spent time there during the time that, that I'm going to be hunting there. So there's a lot of information there. I think it's probably one of the more valuable modules just because it does go into how you find elk. And I think that that's, you know, finding elk is 90% of it. Once you find them, then you get to start hunting them. And so many people spend their week vacation trying to find elk and never actually get to start hunting the elk once they find them. And I think that that module really gives you a, a leg up on getting out there, finding the elk quickly and being able to start hunting them from the beginning of your hunt.
Yeah. Well, and it's like you said, you know, there's just so much technology available at everybody's fingertips these days. And, um, you know, I, I spent quite a bit of time going over this module and, you know, it's, um, you know, even though the examples and stuff that you're using are, are based down the United States, the information that you take from this is definitely something that, um, you know, us up here hunting in British Columbia or Alberta, wherever, whatever province you're, you're hunting in, you can use that information and apply it to your hunt. So yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in there for sure. So we're actually in the process of updating that module, doing a big overhaul just with the advancement of a lot of the technology and, and digital resources. We're going to be doing quite a bit of an update there and it'll be available here in the next and I'd say six weeks or so, maybe eight weeks. Cool. Now moving on to one of the most important parts of of you know hunting elk and i think maybe one of the most overlooked aspects is physical conditioning what kind of discussions uh do you kind of get into on this module you know and, and you're right and one of my big uh i guess messages throughout this online course is you are the the most important tool you're taking into the woods this fall you know we spend so much money on gear and we think if we have new boots and a new backpack or the right elk calls or you know the right weapon or a you know fifteen hundred dollar bow or whatever it is that that's going to help uh, increase our success but the reality is while gear is important and having gear that you're confident in is important there's nothing more important that you're going to carry into the elk woods this fall than yourself. And I think that there's there's two parts of that. There's the knowledge side and the more knowledge that you have, uh, the better prepared you're going to be for success. And then the physical side. And I think that we can all attest to the fact that no matter where you hunt elk, whether it's in prairie land, whether it's in the Rocky Mountains, what you know, wherever it is, elk hunting is physical. And elk can cover a lot of country. They have a lot of endurance and strength. And for us to give ourselves the best chance for success, we need to be in the best shape we can be in. And so we go into why it's important to, to be in physical condition for elk hunting and what muscles you're gonna use. You know, it doesn't do you a lot of good to go to a gym and stand in front of a mirror and do bicep curls for an hour. Uh, it, it looks good and, and you're gonna notice results, but when it goes into the elk woods, it's just not gonna contribute to your success. So we talk about, you know, legs are important. You're using your legs, you're carrying heavy loads. Uh, your back, your shoulders, you've got a backpack on pretty much every hour of every day that you're, you're elk hunting. So being prepared so that your body doesn't break down and get tired and you don't have to miss a day or two sitting in camp because you're exhausted. Uh, you know, your core is important for all of that. And then obviously your lungs, because you've got you've to oxygenate all those muscles and make sure that you're able to go day after day for six or seven or eight or 10 days in a row uh, so we go into the why first, and then uh, I think there's four separate programs in there that we share uh, based on, you know, everybody's different. Somebody might be in really poor shape right now, and they can't hit it hard right away. Uh, somebody might be older. Somebody might be young and have free time and be able to spend four hours a day in a gym. So we have four different programs that go all the way from uh, out in your garage without any kind of weight equipment or anything, you know, just using a pack and, and training with a pack and some weights in the pack, uh, all the way to, you know, CrossFit type, uh, high intensity interval training type uh, workouts that are specifically focused on preparing you for elk hunting. 
So there's a, like you said, that's, it's a really important module. I think it's one that, like you said, a lot of people overlook and they think uh, it's August 15th. I'm going to start putting my backpack on and walking around the neighborhood for the next two weeks before I go elk hunting. Uh, I've incorporated physical conditioning just into my lifestyle so that it's a part of what I do on a very regular basis throughout the year. And it makes elk season, obviously we ramp up as we get closer to elk season, but it makes that so much more enjoyable from a physical mm -hmm. standpoint. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, elk hunting is that we can't control, but, uh, you know, for most of us, fitness is something that uh, we definitely can. Um, so, you know, moving on to module four, elk hunting, elk hunting gear quickly. Uh, what do you cover in this module? Yeah, and I uh, we just actually in the process of updating that one because gear does change. Uh, but one of the things that, that I really like to stress is I use the gear that works the best for me and contributes to, to my success. So there's, you know, we have partners uh, just with our platform that we have. Obviously, it's, it's interesting to a partner to be involved in it, but we approach them. We don't, we don't uh, solicit sponsors or anything. I go to somebody after I've used the gear and say, hey, I love your gear. If you're interested at all, here's the platform we have. Uh, so none of the gear that we we promote or that I list in this section is because we're getting paid to use it or because it's sponsored. It's literally the best gear that I've found for me. And when it comes to you know something like boots, I can tell you the best boots in my opinion, but they might not even fit your feet. They might be completely uncomfortable and, and cause blisters on your feet. And so it is important to uh, to make sure that you've tried what's best for you and, and that you're comfortable and, and confident more than anything in that gear. So I go through um, some of the essential gear that I think you really need to focus on, you know, something like a backpack, it's on your back all the time, something like boots, uh, things like that. And I don't necessarily share, this is the boot you need to buy, or this is a pack, but I talk about why they're important and some of the features you wanna look for based on your hunting style. You know, a backpack, is going to be completely different depending on the area you hunt and how you hunt. If you're out staying eight nights in the backcountry, you need a completely different pack than somebody who's walking from camp in the morning and coming back and taking a nap at camp the same afternoon. Uh, so just finding out what gear you need to, to match your hunting style. And then I share in one of the chapters in that module, I just go through and share exactly what's in my pack every single item you know we break it out in weight uh, the weights that i carry on a day hunt versus a bivy hunt uh, and and kind of just give people an idea of maybe something they've overlooked or maybe they're carrying way too much gear and they don't really need all of the extras they're carrying yeah again you know there's just tons of good info good stuff in there for sure for guys uh, who who maybe are new to elk hunting or, or hunting in general or have been doing it for years and there might be something that uh, that they missed or overlooked um so you know um moving on to module five using elk calls this uh this section kind of sets up my favorite module which is <laughs> number nine but uh, we got a few more to get through here so uh what's going on in this uh in this section of your course so for me elk hunting is elk hunting because of the opportunity you have to interact with the elk on a on a vocal level uh, so elk, you know, they, they bugle. And for me during the rut, there is just, there's nothing as thrilling as calling in a, a rutting bull elk. And so a lot of people, you know, they go down to the, the sporting goods store, they pick up a diaphragm call or some kind of an elk call and they hear an elk bugle on TV and they immediately try to mimic that, that sound. And it's completely the wrong way to go about it because it'll, it'll, 
introduce a whole lot of bad habits that make it really hard for a, an elk hunter to get proficient and sound good using elk calls when they do it that way. So this, this module starts at the beginning and breaks it down into a very uh, systematic approach of uh, building on a foundation and, and teaching how to use the diaphragm calls so that you're able to start putting the pieces together and make it the most efficient that you can make it and and sound the most realistic you can make it. So we talk about how elk calls are made and what goes into them so you can understand the differences. Because when you go to a store and look at it, there there might be 60 different mm -hmm. colors of diaphragms sitting there on the wall and it's like, I like my favorite color is blue, so I'll pick the blue one. But you know, it's it's important to understand the the different pieces that go into making a diaphragm and how those affect the, the sound that you're going to get. So we go into that and then uh, the really, I think the meat and potatoes of, of that module is the instruction on, you know, there's I think six videos there that go through and they walk you through the very uh, foundation of, of using the call, what you need to be doing, kind of the, the exercise routine to get comfortable with that call and then how you start putting those mechanics together to make the sounds, to uh, to make a cow sound, to make a bugle. And uh, I think we get into five or six different important sounds and how to make them and how to practice so that you become consistent with it uh, and, and truly become a better elk caller. And I've had people that have been calling elk for 20 years that have taken the course and said, that was the most important chapter to me because I've been going about it wrong the whole time. I've been putting so much air pressure into it that I have no control on the high note. I can barely hit the high note. I, I go through diaphragm after diaphragm because they wear out. And so that one I think is super important to be able to set up, like you said, module nine, which is when we go out in the field and actually start calling to elk and the, the uh, kind of the approach we take and the the process we use in the field. But before you even get in the field, I think it's important to have a high level of confidence in your ability to call so that you know what to do in, in different situations in the field. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's like you said, there is a lot of calls out there and they can definitely be overwhelming. So, um, you know, that was one of my biggest takeaways from this section of your course was just, uh, you know, breaking down what the calls do and not only what the calls do, how they're made and kind of just walking you through it. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a section. I think a lot of people are going to, are going to enjoy for sure. Um, module number six, elk hunting knowledge. Um, this sentence and me just don't seem to belong together. So I'm just going to shut up here and let you take the wheel. <laughs> so elk hunting knowledge, it's kind of the, uh, the catch 22, you know, how do you gain elk hunting knowledge? Well, you just got to go out and experience it. Well, how do you gain experience? You know, if you don't have elk hunting knowledge. And so there's, there are some things you can learn uh, without experiencing it but it's so much more valuable once you do experience it. But the, the goal for this one, it really comes, we did a survey several years ago uh, and had, I forget how many, but like 10,000 responses from elk hunters and asked what the number one factor was that contributed to their success. And that number one factor was elk hunting knowledge. And there's so much that goes into, you know, what does that really mean? But I think uh, in a nutshell, understanding elk's habits, what they do on a yearly basis, you know, different times of the year, what they're doing, and then breaking it down, especially during hunting seasons, what they're doing on a daily basis, you know, how they 
move from, from feed and water to their bedding area, why they choose their bedding area, uh, what to look for to say this is a bedding area and be able to draw kind of that line of, okay, the elk are moving from where they fed during the night. Now they're moving to where they're gonna spend the day why are they doing that? You know, how do they how do they use their senses to stay alive, and how do we uh, overcome their use of their senses? You know, an elk's nose is the the nemesis of every elk hunter, but it's really not that difficult to overcome an elk's nose if you know how they're moving and if you know how they bed to protect themselves using their senses. And so it really dives into all of those things, the, the way an elk travels, you know, an elk typically is going to travel with the thermals or the wind in its face. So they can smell any danger ahead of it. And how do we navigate that? And if we're behind them, following them as they're going from where they're feeding to where they're bedding, uh, are we going to have as, as much of an opportunity to turn a bull around and away from his cows and call him in as we might when they get to their bedding area or while they're actively feeding. And so just, you know, going into a lot of those, those nuggets of information that uh, if you can at least make a plan and head out based on that, when things happen, I think we, we understand and we recognize it a lot more quickly and we're able to learn from it and then adapt to, uh, to the situation we're in. So it's, you know, I, I won't say it's the most important module, but it's definitely one that um, contributes, I think, more to incrementally developing a, a pattern of consistent success when elk hunting as we gain more and more knowledge. Yeah. And, and some of the stuff I really like in this module was, you know, when you talk about thermals and stuff like that, those are things that, you know, yes, they're applicable when you're hunting elk, but you can take those and you can also apply them to, you know, when you're archery hunting mule deer or, um, you know, hunting the moose in the high alpine and stuff like that. So there's a lot of good takeaways in, in this module as well. Definitely. Um, you know, moving on, locating elk. Uh, like you said, you know, this is definitely the hardest part of elk hunting. What are some of the key points here we're going to learn in, in this module? I think just, you know, we, we touched on a little bit earlier that 90% of elk hunting is just finding elk. And if we can flip that around so we don't have to spend as much time finding elk uh, and can spend more time hunting elk, that's going to, you know, the more opportunities we have, the more setups we have on elk, the more visuals we have on elk if we're rifle hunting, the better chance we have of, of being successful. And so we've got to uh, minimize the time we spend locating elk and maximize the time we spend actually hunting them. So we go into, you know, different methods of locating elk. For me in archery season, you know, I like to use the bugle. And if I can get a response from an elk, I know 100% with certainty there is an elk right there. And now I can start hunting that elk. Uh, in a rifle season, it's going to be more visual. You know, once the post rut hits and the elk aren't talking anymore, you've got to understand where the elk are. And so we go into a little bit, uh, and again, this is a module that's going to be uh, improved upon and, and updated here very shortly, but we're going to go into, and we do go into what to look for. You know, when you're, when you're trying to find elk, what's important? Well, during the summer, feed is important and feed and water, the, the primary uh, resources that an elk needs during that time of year. When you get into the rut period, uh, breeding becomes top of mind for bulls. So that means cows. So how do you find the cows? Well, cows are still looking for feed and water. So you find the uh, those resources 
you find the cows, you find the bulls. And then after the rut, you know, the bulls move away from the cows and sanctuary becomes their, their number one thing. They're trying to hide. You've got more hunting pressure in a firearm season and those elk are looking for those sanctuary places where they're going to be safe. And they're going to have food and water, obviously, but food and water might be a little lower on the list. Uh, it might be secondary to just having a safe place to hide. And so understanding what the elk's primary needs are during those different seasons uh, is super important to help you find the elk. And so those different tactics, you know, I go through and, and break down how I, how I glass for elk, you know, and, and how I break apart uh, a landscape and, and what I'm looking for and how I how I look for the elk in that landscape. And there's just a lot of different things, uh, especially as you get into that post rut and late season after the rut, it becomes more and more difficult to find the elk. Um, and so that, that's what we go through in that module or different tactics and what to be looking for so that you can find the elk more quickly and, and be able to spend more time hunting them. Right. So for us Canadians up are there any caveats um, to the information in this module or, or elk pretty much doing the same thing, you know, regardless if they are, you know, on the southern side of the border or if they're the elk up here, you know, on the northern side, you know, the ones sipping on maple syrup? <laughs> you know, I, I think their behaviors are going to be uh the premise of their behaviors is going to be the same. So they are going to be concerned about survival. And they're going to be using their senses to survive. So understanding, you know, if they're out on the the prairie and they're they're more in the open and they're just going into uh, little coolies where there's brush and that's where they're bedding down and they're coming up into the open fields to to feed at last light of the day. Uh, they're still using their senses to stay alive and understanding what senses are going to be primary for them for survival is important. Uh, they're still going to feed. They're still going to go to water. They're still going to rut. All of these things that are going to be pretty much exactly the same. I think the differences are going to be terrain. And we have a module on hunting, specifically hunting Roosevelt elk, which are a, a coastal elk. And the terrain is completely different along the coast uh, of BC than it is, you know, the prairie land of Alberta or the, you know, just different terrain is going to uh, is going to be the primary difference and the way that you hunt in different terrains might change you know the tactics you use might have to change you're going to have a, a hard time calling an elk 400 yards across the wide open as opposed to calling an elk in heavy timber or different things so i think you know in a nutshell elk are elk and they're going to have the same needs at different times of the year, they're going to have uh, the same drivers as far as the rut and water and different things during different times of the year. Uh, they're going to want to survive. They're going to be using their senses to stay alive. So all of that information is applicable across any landscape. I think the, the real difference becomes the tactics you use in different landscapes and how you navigate and utilize the, the landscape for your hunting style. Yeah, there's definitely a different a variance in topography, but no more, I think, than, than down in the U.S. There, you know, again, this is stuff that uh, that the course covers. And uh, yeah, guys, no matter where they are in, in up here in Canada, they're going to be able to take something away from it. Um, setting up on elk, number eight, um, no secret here why this is important. But again, what are what are the, some, of, some of the lessons of this chapter? Yeah. And so this one really focuses more on rut hunting, um, setting up to call the elk in uh, in, in this module. It, it really focuses on that. And I really think if you're a archery hunter hunting during the rut, 
uh, and wanting to call an elk in, this is the most important module for that style of hunting because you know, when you're calling an elk into your setup, especially me when I was younger, I would call in bull after bull after bull and not get a shot. And I had all these great stories and I hear people talk today, you know, I called in 29 bulls last year during archery season, but it didn't fill my tag. And it's like, well, why not? Well, you know, he was too far or he winded me or all these different excuses of, of why they didn't fill their tag. It really came down to their setup and, you know, a bull hanging up at 80 yards away. There's a reason he hangs up at 80 yards away. And there's a way you can overcome that in your setup. Uh, you know, setting up in front of brush or in front of obstacles and letting your camouflage do its job. So you're really exposed kind of in the open and breaking up your outline with, with some backdrop, but it's, it can be uncomfortable to put yourself out there like that and know that when that elk comes into 20 or 30 yards, there's going to maybe be nothing between you and that elk. And you feel like you might be kind of naked sitting out there, but it's so important because if you set up behind that brush pile, you're putting a huge obstacle between you and that elk and really limiting your, your shooting lanes and your opportunities. So we talk about what makes an elk comfortable to come into a setup, how they're utilizing their senses to protect them, you know, whether that's circling downwind of a, of a collar to make sure that there's no danger before they just come walking right into a setup. Uh, it's hard to call an elk across the wide open. It's also hard to call an elk through a, a big brush thicket. Uh, it's hard to call an elk straight up a hill. It's hard to call an elk straight down a hill. So we talk about why it's important to get on the same level, uh, how you can minimize the effects of the thermals when you're setting up. It just, there's so much information. We actually go through and, and we take a 3D elk target, the head off of it, and we put a camera in between its eyes and kind of show what an elk sees as they're coming in. And, you know, as you're set up down there and the elk scanning, when it comes to you, you know, you've, you've got to be really careful not to move and that's not the time to draw. You've got to draw when its head is behind a tree or turned away and an, and an elk can see 270 degrees without turning its head. So it can actually see behind it a little bit. So when an elk comes into a setup, and walks through your setup and gets past you, you feel comfortable, okay, he's past me, I can draw. Well, no, not really, because for almost 45 degrees behind him, he can still see because of the way his eyes are positioned on his head. So we go into all of all of that important stuff and how to maximize your setup to uh, be able to give you the best opportunity to get a, a good shot on an elk. Tons of great stuff here for uh, an elk hunter at, at any level. So module number nine, uh, finally, my uh, my favorite one, it's funny, I got checklists going down here and my eyes kept reverting to module nine as we're working our way down the paper and my smile just got bigger and bigger. But uh, here we get to learn how to take on the champ. Um, here you're going to you're gonna teach us pretty much everything we need to know to become a successful elk hunter. Um, you know, maybe you can just quickly go over what's going on in this module. Yeah, so, and like I said, this is my favorite module as well, just because calling elk is my favorite style of, of hunting elk. And, you know, I would when we would fill our tags, you know, back when I was maybe younger and only had one tag a year, now I'm blessed and able to go on sometimes, you know, two or three elk hunts. But, you know, when I had a, a week's vacation from work and had one tag that was local to home here, if we filled it early, we still went out. Sometimes we even went to like Yellowstone National Park just to listen to elk bugle and, and see them interact during the rut. Or we'd go to a unit that um, didn't have an archery season, go in there and just call elk because it's so much fun. It's just 
you know, that vocal interaction with an elk is, is incredibly thrilling, but it's also incredibly frustrating and difficult sometimes. And there's so many philosophies on elk language and what an elk's saying every time it opens its mouth and what that means and what we need to say. And, you know, it can get really confusing and, and frustrating to know and as we're throwing different things at the elk as far as vocalizations and they aren't responding, it's like, man, am I a bad caller? And we just, you know, I think we've all been there. And for me, it's, it's really come down to a very simple uh, strategy for calling elk. And what I've learned is elk respond based on their emotions. And when they're talking, especially we're talking bulls here, you know, cows will communicate with each other and throughout the year even, and obviously bulls will bugle and communicate throughout the year, but the rut is really where they, they get active in their communication and vocalization. And the reason they respond during the rut is, is based on emotion more than a language. So it's not necessarily what you say to an elk as much as it is how you say it to the elk. And so we go into, you know, in that module talking about uh, why elk communicate, why, what those emotions are that a, a bull is going to respond to, how to elicit a response from a bull based on those emotions. And really, I think the, the big takeaway there that's important is the less you have to know and the less that you think you have to know in the moment, the more confident you're going to be in your calling. And the more confident you are in your calling with an understanding of what you need to say, but more importantly, how you need to say it, you don't have to be a great caller. You don't have to be a, a world champion level caller to be a consistently successful elk caller. And just a, a couple minor little points within your elk calling that you can hit to show that emotion is really going to change your success calling an elk. And so we go into you know, the importance of getting close and why that's important, uh, similar to human communication. If you if you're to yell something at somebody 400 yards away and you kind of mumble it under your breath and it's not very threatening to them, it's probably not going to get much of a, a reaction from them. But if you walk around a corner and all of a sudden you're in their face and they have their girlfriend with them and you start insulting them and their, you know, their, uh, their last name type of a thing, you know, really get into them and get personal in front of their girlfriend and you're three feet away from them, there's a good chance the reaction is going to be completely different there than it would if you were saying it a little differently at a, a longer distance. And so you know, we, we relate a lot of human reaction to emotion and the, the response that that gets back into elk. And it's pretty easy to, to see that correlation when we break it down like that. And it becomes very easy to elicit those responses from the elk when you're when you're calling to them. So we go into that, we, uh, we go into a lot of other strategies and tactics when it comes to calling, because uh, it, it's not 100%. It's not like every elk you come to, if you get, get them worked up and wanting to fight, they're gonna come running right into you. And sometimes it takes some different strategy there. So mm -hmm. we talk about that. And then a brand new chapter we just added uh, last week is we go in and break down actual calling scenarios. So we've had a, a series on YouTube we call In the Zone where we go in, we take a, an actual call in that we videoed and whether it was successful or not, but then we go into 3D modeling and we show where the elk is, what the thermals are doing, where the shooter is, where the caller is, the, the method we're using to bring that elk in, where we're trying to bring the elk in so we have a chance of getting a shot. And if it 
if it doesn't work out, we talk about what we did wrong and what we could have done differently. And I think it's super valuable to have multiple different scenarios that we look at like that. And it just really helps see, you know, from a bird's eye view, what's going on, why the elk's reacting the way he is, where we need to be to, uh, to get him into that. So that's a, a new chapter we just added to that module. Cool. Well, you know, man, there's, uh, I got a ton of questions on, on, on calling and, and everything I'd love to throw at you, but uh, <laughs> we're going to end up going down a bunny hole and we just won't be able to get through all the modules here, you know, and that's just uh, something I really want to focus on here today. So I'll have to keep bugging you to come back on the show and maybe we can cover that again, but uh, you know, moving say, up. Yeah, we can, we can do a whole, whole episode just on calling elk as we get yeah. a little closer to elk season or something. Yeah, definitely. So uh, module 10, miscellaneous strategies for hunting elk. What do we have here? You know, this is really uh, outside of elk calling. So uh, one of the chapters is called leave the elk calls at home. And whether that's because somebody just doesn't want to call elk, they prefer to spot and stalk uh, or shadow the herd or it's post rut. And you've just got to go and, and find the elk and wait for them to feed out into a feed source, you know, at last light and get a shot then. Uh, but this is pretty much everything outside of elk calling. In addition to, uh, there's a chapter on supplements to elk calling. And so we get into things like raking a tree and what that represents and demonstrates how that can be effective uh, using things like decoys and, and how and why decoys can be effective and how to use them. Uh, so we get into some of those supplemental strategies that uh, can maybe complement elk calling, but are outside the realm of elk calling, as well as tactics that are completely outside. You know, you'd things you would use when you didn't even have a, an elk call with you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. The information in here kind of slowly starts as you're working your way through the modules. It kind of slowly starts to piece everything together for you like a giant puzzle and then that, when you're done it's like wow you know it's uh it's pretty cool um module 11 common challenges for elk hunting i think anyone who's been elk hunting knows <laughs> that there are far more challenges than there are uh rewards at least uh leading up to that final shot uh, but there's there's so many things that can go wrong you know i always say that if you believe in murphy's laws then elk hunting is is perfect for you because if there's something that can go wrong at some point during an elk hunt it's going to go wrong the the wind switches at the last minute the uh you know hunting pressure you get to a trailhead and there's already four trucks parked there or you've got a bull coming in and somebody comes in upwind of it and blows it out of there uh things you guys deal with up there and and we do here in in idaho as well you know things like predators bears grizzly bears wolves mountain lions uh how those affect uh elk hunting in general and uh you know we've seen it here in the last 20 years or so in in idaho and the rocky mountain states down here the effect that wolves have on elk vocalization and you know elk are a lot more wary in areas where there's a, a high number of predators as opposed to going somewhere where there are no predators and it's hunting them is a, a completely different challenge uh weather you know the the challenges that weather can bring and so we really go into some of the uncontrollable challenges in this uh, things like weather and thermals changing and hunting pressure things that are really out of our control and then uh, we go into uh, elk behavior and you know a, a bull that is maybe more wary a bull that's less vocal uh, some of the things you know the the 
demographics of a herd, the bull to cow ratios and the overall populations and density of elk and how that affects elk hunting and, and the challenges that, you know, you'd think that having a huge population of elk and a herd of 150 cows with eight bulls running the herd there, you know, you'd think that's ideal. But when it really comes down to it, it might not be ideal uh, if you're maybe a spot and stock hunter in open terrain. You've got all those eyes and ears that are protecting the herd. And so just going through a lot of those different scenarios of challenges and how to maybe overcome them or reduce the, the amount of challenge that each of those situations prevent, uh, presents. Yeah, definitely. Now, uh, now the next module tracking and following elk, again, this is another one I found or another section I found that, you know, it doesn't just relate to elk, the tools here, you can, you know, they can be used when you're hunting deer or bear, you know, you name it when you're, when you're tracking and, and, uh, when you're tracking animals. So what, uh, quickly again, what kind of uh, information are we going to learn from this chapter? Yeah. So this is one of my favorites just because of some of the, the information that's in there as well as I, you know, I grew up uh, tracking elk. It's it's a part of elk hunting, you know, and especially archery uh, back in the early and mid 80s, there wasn't a lot of technology. And, you know, when, when you're archery hunting, you're relying on a well-placed arrow to sever the blood supply uh, to get a quick, clean kill. And that doesn't always happen. And, you know, I think that a uh, a lot of times an archery hit, and, and we'll talk about rifle a little bit too, but an archery hit is fatal, but it might take a couple days, depending on where that arrow hits, for infection to set in and actually take the life of an elk. Uh, and, and so it's super important, obviously, to be proficient and make as good of a shot as we can. But even under ideal situations, with all of our preparation, things can and do happen. And so tracking, being able to track and blood trail an elk after the shot is a vital component to uh, contributing to success. And I maybe didn't realize until I got a little older how vital it was until I started hearing stories of people that, you know, would, would shoot and lose two or three elk during a season and, you know, be comfortable going back out the next day and just hunting a different elk. And, you know, you, you hear those stories and it's like, man, that that person potentially killed three elk this year and the effect that that has on on the population of elk and just you know the the ethics side of it and the things that we're dealing with from those who aren't in the hunting community we just want to you know be as as proficient as we can and so learning how to track and follow a blood trail is vitally important to to that you know both from an ethical standpoint and from a success standpoint and so the a couple of the the key points to be able to do that is understanding the anatomy of an elk so when you see a blood trail you recognize oh that's liver blood or that's a lung shot or that's a muscle shot and it might not be fatal to the elk or you know i hit him back in the body cavity and that elk's going to die but i have no blood to track on and he's going to probably be alive for several hours and then being able to understand how to proceed from there, whether you need to back out or whether you need to get on the trail immediately. Um, but one of my favorite parts is we did uh, modeling of an elk's anatomy. And, you know, you look on the internet and there's some some pretty rough looking general ideas of what the, the anatomy looks like. But we actually went through 
and I dissected an elk, took measurements. So we're talking, you know, chest cavity, the, the average height of a chest cavity. So you know the vital area, the, mm -hmm. the height of the lungs, where the heart's located, uh, where the circulatory system, where the, the carotid artery and the, the jugular vein, where all those run. Uh, we broke all that down from a broadside perspective as well as a frontal uh, perspective. So you can see where your kill zones are and actually where to aim. Uh, we overlaid the skeletal, the bone structure with the circulatory structure with the vitals. And you can get a really good idea of where you need to avoid hitting, where you want to hit. If you don't hit exactly there, what you have and how that's going to affect the outcome of that shot. And one thing about elk, they are tough. They're one of, they got to be one of the They're toughest tough animals. Animal. Add. Yeah. Amazing. Crazy tough. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah. definitely good information to know. Absolutely. So lucky 13 field care of meat. Again, this is uh you know, another great resource that can be used um, with all animals when out in the field. And, you know, it's going to be especially informative for new hunters. So what do we got? Uh, a little bit of what we got in this one. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's the post success. You know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say I absolutely loved elk hunting until I killed my first elk. And I did not realize I wasn't prepared for how much work it was. And now I have this 800 pound animal laying on the ground that I can't even move. You know, I'm by myself. I didn't even know where to start. You know, I just started hacking the skin off and didn't know what to, what to get off of the elk. And so in this module, we break down uh, basically everything. We, we break down how to skin the animal, how to process the meat there in the field to uh, take care of it, to get it cooled quickly so that you minimize the risk of, of losing any of that valuable, organic, delicious meat. Uh, how to care for it there in the field to keep it clean, how to uh, get it cooled down quickly so that if you are spending a couple days packing it out, uh, you're not going to lose that. So we go through, you know, the skinning, the the quartering, taking the quarters off, how to get the back straps, the tenderloin, all of that uh, edible portions of meat off of the elk. Uh, and we go through with video and, and show how that's done. Uh, we go through how to debone the quarters if you're packing it a long ways and, and you don't want to carry, you know, 25 to 30 pounds of bones on your back out with you, how to get the bones out of that and just bring the meat out. Uh, but the really cool part is all of these modules, you can, they're, they're all available on the mobile app and you can take that offline. So you can download any of these videos into the app and go out into the field without any kind of Wi-Fi or cellular reception and have access to that. And I, that's probably one of our most popularly downloaded videos is how to do the gutless method in the field. Yeah, I bet. And that's processing that elk without even opening the, the body cavity. And so for someone for the first time, they can pull up that video on their, their cell phone and standing right there at the elk, see where to put the knife in, how to skin up, where to where to remove the skin, where to make the cuts to get each quarter off and literally walk through step-by-step step doing that in the field. Yeah, no, that's great. I didn't, uh, I knew you had a mobile app. I didn't use it, but uh, no, that's definitely a great tool. It's a nice thing about having an app is you can use it anywhere. You can use it when you're at work and just, yeah, well, you shouldn't be using it at work. Watch my guys listening are probably pulling out their phones now, <laughs> downloading the app. Exactly. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, moving on, uh, packing elk and, you know, anyone who skipped through module number three here, they're going to be kicking themselves in the butt when uh, it comes to packing elk. What, uh, yeah, what we do talked we talk over in this one? You know, you've got an 800 pound animal on the ground. You, you get it all worked up and you're still left with several hundred pounds of meat that you have to pack out. And you know, you quickly realize that little $39 day pack you bought down at the, the uh, general retailer is not made to haul more than about 15 or 20 pounds in it. And you put a, a hind quarter of an elk that weighs 80 pounds on that thing and it gets really uncomfortable really quickly. So we just go into what to expect. You know, like I said, I dissected an elk. So we took average weights of each quarter average weights of the neck meat, the brisket meat, the back straps, the tenderloins, all of that. So you really have a good idea on an average elk of each of those weights. Uh, and then, you know, we talk about different methods of packing them out, whether it's a mountain bike with a trailer, whether it's a, you know, stock like a, a horse or a mule or llamas. Uh, but ultimately, uh, we talk about what it takes to pack it out on your back and how to load a pack appropriately so that you're able to carry more weight more comfortably, uh, what to expect on some of those pack weights, uh, the use of trekking poles, the, the balance that that provides uh, is huge when you're packing heavier loads. So we just kind of go into the process of getting your elk from, from where you processed it in the field back to your truck and, and into a cooler and eventually to a processor or to, to cut it up yourself, how to do it and how to do it safely and as comfortably as possible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, post and late ruck, post and late rut elk hunting. Um, <laughs> Tongue twist. Yeah, this section's great because, you know, not everyone has the opportunity to hunt the rut you know let's be honest as we get older you know we all got commitments kids work sports and uh you know so as much as we would all like to hunt in you know the most opportune opportunistic times um we just can't so this is a great section of the course that kind of covers you know hunting uh when we get a chance to or when we get finally get the opportunity to hunt yeah and it's you know there's no doubt i think uh, down here about 80 percent of the hunters that go to the field chasing elk each year are hunting after the rut, uh, so the post rut or the late season, and you don't have calling. You don't have that tactic. You don't have that that uh, advantage anymore to be able to locate elk. So locating elk is so much more important. Understanding the needs of elk during this time. So Randy Newberg does. Uh, in fact, he's the one that that provided all of the content for this, and he has so much more experience than I do. Uh, hunting during that time frame and so much more success. And so he provides uh, a lot of detail about how the two are different, how the post rut is a separate season from the late season and how the elk's needs change from, from one season to the next and what to look for, how to find those needs, and then ultimately how to find the elk uh, during that. And a big part of that is sanctuaries. You know, a big part once the post, post uh, or once the peak rut ends, and we go into post rut, those elk, especially the bulls, are looking for that sanctuary. And so understanding what a sanctuary is, it's not always, you know, a canyon that's nine miles back in that's surrounded by rock bluffs and there's a little patch of timber and that's where that bull lays. Uh, it might be uh, a section of, of a coulee where two draws come up together and form an area where that bull can stay right there. He has water within 30 yards. He has ample feed right there. And he might lay in that 
that thicket and not move. It might be a transition between, you know, private land and public land. And he only comes out on public land for a few minutes during the daylight hours. So just understanding what makes a sanctuary in those different areas and then how you can uh, hunt those sanctuaries and find the elk during those different seasons. And again, that's, we're actually, that's, that's a huge module that we're doing a big uh, update to right now. Randy's working on it and really breaking it down into more detail than, than what was already there. Look forward to that for sure. So uh, you kind of touched on this already a little bit, uh, hunting Roosevelt elk module 16. Um, what makes hunting Roosevelt elk any different from hunting, you know, uh, any other elk? Yeah. And like we talked, you know, it's, it's really the terrain and people have always said, you know, Roosevelt elk, you can't bugle them in. They don't talk. They aren't vocal. And I always had friends that were very successful Roosevelt hunters. And they said, you know what, they're more aggressive than Rocky mountain elk. They are, you know, you have to get in close, you have to do different things and the, the strategies are a little different. But at the end of the day, when I went over and hunted them, uh, and I've, I've been fortunate to hunt with some very successful Roosevelt elk hunters, they're the same. I mean, they, they're, they're more aggressive. I think that you can challenge a Roosevelt elk, uh, a bull elk, even easier than a Rocky Mountain. They don't move. So once you find them, they're, they're in tight little areas. And a lot of that is because they have food, water, and sanctuary right there because it's so thick that they don't have to move. Uh, what really becomes the difference is the terrain. And a lot of times it's so thick that sound doesn't carry. Uh, you'll have a, a bull 300 yards away on the backside of a ridge that you can't hear bugle and he can't hear you bugle just because it's so thick that it just dampens that sound. Uh, you know, so it changes your locating of the elk. You can't glass them hardly at all unless you get into a, a logged area where they've opened up some of that canopy and you, you can see when the elk come out to feed there. So it really goes into those differences in terrain. Uh, we do talk about the tactics and there are some things that uh, can be tweaked a little and modified more to be conducive to hunting those elk in that terrain. Uh, but we break down kind of the those differences and highlight the the tactics and the the strategies that work specific to hunting Roosevelt elk in those conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, Roosevelt elk up here they're on LEH draw only. So you know, for the mugs who yep. uh, who got my draw this year. Um, you know, they're, they're really going to get a lot out of this one for sure. Um, so the last module, uh, hunting cow elk, you know, now, uh, up here anyway, a very few people have ever had the opportunity to hunt, uh, cow elk. How does hunting cow elk differ from hunting, you know, the bulls besides the obvious of, you know, you're not, uh, counting antler tips. Yeah. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is I think, and I haven't, I don't know that I've put the numbers together, but I think there are as many opportunities down here to hunt cow elk as there are to hunt bull elk uh, just you know with the herd numbers and the the demographics trying to manage the herds and keep the bull to cow ratios healthy to keep populations healthy it allows for uh, quite a bit of opportunity there and so uh, I wouldn't say it there are more cow hunters here than bull hunters but there is definitely a, a high a high number of cow hunters so it's important to understand you know during the rut you're calling in bulls, but can you call in cows? We talk about that. Uh, we talk about the the opportunities and how the needs of a cow are different than the needs of a bull and what you need to do to focus on those needs and, and ultimately hunting cows. Uh, you know, the, the meat off of a cow is 
every bit as good, if not better than a bull. Uh, so the reasons, you, we go into some of the reasons of, of why someone might choose to hunt an antlerless elk and then getting into some of the specifics for the different seasons, whether it's hunting during the rut. You know, I think for those of us who archery elk hunt and, and have successfully called in bull elk during the rut, uh, we've probably had opportunities to shoot cows as well. And so a lot of those tactics do apply. Uh, we're just now focused on on which sex of the animal, which gender comes in to the calls and, and setting up focused more on that. So uh, a lot of information in there for those who are able to, to hunt or choose to hunt the antlerless elk. Okay, man. Um, again, you know, there's over 120 hours of information on here and, uh, you know, uh, for us to cover everything would have just been impossible. But I think we did a pretty damn good job of uh, letting, you know, the Canadian folk up here, uh, um, you know, giving them a bit of information on your course and how they can use it up here. Is there anything else you'd like to add that maybe uh, uh, we skipped over? You know, we've got a, a lot of new stuff coming and uh, we're adding a module specific to archery. Uh, not archery hunting, but just uh, for someone who wants to get into archery, there'll be a module on, you know, important factors to look for as far as determining your draw length, draw weight, how to set up a bow, uh, how to select arrows specific to elk hunting, uh, how to sight in uh, a bow. So a lot of information there. We just had a lot of people. They're like, man, you talk about all this rut hunting. I've never archery hunted before, but I want to get into it. Are there any resources for that? So Going into that, we're doing a module just like that for rifle hunting, uh, as far as caliber selection, uh, how to sight in a rifle, things like that. So, you know, really thinking more about the beginner who's getting into it, which, you know, it's, it's, it's so hard because we get, we take a lot of slack for sharing this information with people. And, you know, a lot of people grew up with, hey, hunting tactics and locations are very secretive. And I, I agree with locations. But I also, I know that the, the future of hunting depends on the recruitment and being mm -hmm. able to get new hunters in. And I think the more hunters we have, the more voice we have as hunters Definitely. to be able to fight off the, the other side, trying to take away uh, some of the things we love to do. And so it is, a, it can be a catch 22 sometimes, but I think the more educated hunters we have out there, uh, the better off we are as a, as a hunting community. And so that's really the, the goal here. And I think the more success that somebody has, uh, the more apt they're going to be to stick with it. And I've talked to people that have hunted for 17 years or 19 years and never successfully filled a tag. And, you know, kudos to them for sticking with it. They have perseverance that will make them great elk hunters. Uh, but a lot of people go out two or three times and like, it's just hard. It's mountains are steep. I didn't even see an elk. I'm not going again. Yeah, you can get discouraged. And so giving sure. them the resources. Yeah, giving them the resources they need to to be successful and to enjoy that experience, I think is is very valuable. Yeah, well, those are some great points there, man. So where do we go to sign up for Elk 101? So you can just go to the website at elk101.com. And if you click on the link for the online course, the course itself is called the University of Elk Hunting. And you can just click on that link and uh, follow the follow the buttons to get signed up and you and I didn't talk about it, but I'd be more than happy to uh, provide a, a discount to your listeners. If that's oh, great. something that you feel yeah. would be valuable and absolutely we can. Uh, hey, well, how about focus? Uh, that sounds great. That's what I was going to recommend as well. Yeah, so that's an easy yeah, one. If they use the promo code, use the promo code focus and uh, it'll save them 20% off 
when they shine. Wow. Awesome. Well, there you go, guys. There's uh, no excuse now. So, you know, again, man, thanks for stopping by and sharing your, you know, your story and, and talking all about Elk 101 and how uh, us Canadian folk up here can, can put this information to good use. Um, and you have lots of stuff going on, but where's the best place to uh, keep tabs with you? You know, the website, uh, we have the content there. We've got, you know, social media, Facebook and Instagram uh, that we're active on. Uh, you know, we have a lot of contests and giveaways through the social media platform. So just following Elk 101, uh, both on Instagram and Facebook, uh, keeps people up to date, I think. Yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, that's kind of it. Make sure, and you know, if, if people are on the website, make sure they sign up for our email list because... Uh, Social media doesn't always play nice and they do a lot of uh, filtering and uh, they, they don't let everybody see the, the content that's posted on there in a very effective way. So we were they told don't play all the fair, time, that's for sure. Find, yeah, it's just and it's getting worse and worse. Yeah, with, it is. Uh, seems to be the, the hunting crowd that's taken the, the blunt of it right now. But yeah, if you sign up for our email list, that way we're able to communicate if there are things uh, a little bit more efficiently and, and consistently there. Okay, man. Well, it's been uh, it's been a ton of fun chatting with you here today, and uh, you know, uh, I'm really hoping we can get you back on over the summer, and maybe can uh, we can just uh, touch on what we've learned, and maybe go over a few elk calling tips, and you know, moon phases, and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, that'd be a ton of fun. Okay, great. We'll talk to you then. Awesome. Hey, okay. thanks so much for having me on. Thank you.